You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. I begin today's episode with a little quote from Mark Twain. Censorship is telling a man he can't have a steak just because a baby can't chew it. And folks, welcome to episode number 239. Today's guest is Jill King, a master marketer, a business owner, rancher, who has some really long ties to Wyoming. Jill moved to Wyoming to fill a dream of being a singer, which led to forming her own band, traveling the region, and eventually cutting an album in the heart of country music. Now, Jill is the owner of a local franchise in the publication industry, while also with her husband running a cattle ranch right here in Wyoming. So hold on to your buckets, if that's the right thing to say, and find out more about Jill's history, her family's history here in Wyoming, and what she's doing in the world of business and helping businesses succeed, and how relationships are so important. Thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's delightful to have some of your time and learn more about you and what you're doing in the world every day here in the Jackson Hole area. It's great to be here and looking forward to sharing what I offer to the community with you. Super. Well, Jill, I start every episode with people giving their background of where they were born and raised and how they landed here in the Jackson Hole area. So we're going to start off right there and just keep it consistent after, you know, over 200 episodes. Why break a, a good streak on that exactly. one? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the kind of the short version. I landed here from New York City. I came out to be a singer. I was working in marketing 51st and 5th and uh, for a real estate company. And uh, I was singing at night and all the clubs, the open mics and everything. And I was doing that for almost five years. And I decided I just wanted to trailblaze, hit the road, become a singer full time, hang up my marketing at. And my aunt was running the Wirt Hotel out here. So I called her and said, hey, you know, can you, can I come sing? And, you know, can you help me out? And so I ended up singing all over Jackson. I had started a cowgirl band. I sang with the bluegrass band. We had some regional, probably, success, opening for a lot of acts regionally. And then I went to Nashville and recorded the CD and, and went out on my own, my songwriting. And then we moved to Austin and I, and I continued it down there. So that's kind of how I got to Jackson Hole was via my guitar. <laughs> All right. And how do you want to share how far back that was? It, it was a while. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I guess 30 years ago, I came out here. So cool. we've been back and forth from Texas to Wyoming for many years and then moved back here full time about 12 years ago. So well, I'm glad you guys resettled here in the great state of Wyoming. Well, my husband has a love affair with Wyoming. We have a ranch about four hours away from here and uh, he raises Angus cattle and he just 
absolutely loves Wyoming. I, I do too, but not the same way. <laughs> he loves prairie and I love mountains. So tell me about the singing. And you said you started a cowgirl band. What was the name of the band? It was called the Cow Patsies. And Christine Langdon, who is the singer out of the stagecoach, she played bass. Shelly Rubrick, she played fiddle. I played lead and uh, rhythm guitar. And we sang harmonies. And yeah, we uh, we had a whole bunch of fun with that. And it was it was great. Yeah. And the CD that you cut, can people find that out on the World Wide Web and find some of your yep. songs? Not quite yet, but uh, for my birthday this month, my girls are putting it all on Spotify. So stay tuned. Excellent. So you have some kids? Three girls, Tennessee, Carolina, and Georgia, who you know are, are just great. My old, oldest daughter, Tennessee, just had a baby. Carolina, we call Mimi. She lives in L.A. She's a, an art guru. And then we have one in Boulder, the baby. So Spread out around the, around the area. She's keeping us on our toes for sure. <laughs> awesome. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about this ranch. Are you open to sharing? Where is it and what's the name and how I, I hear your husband's passion. Yeah. But it, it takes a big, bold belief to start raising cattle. It, That's not an easy undertaking. It, it is. And and Wyoming is no easy uh, place to raise cattle either. I mean, the ranches outside of Lander, it's actually called Jeffrey City, which is right near Muddy Gap and next to a historic site called the Split Rock. So it's got a lot of history out there, but it's, you know, it's, it's cattle land. It's not, you know, it's not Yellowstone. It's not... <laughs> It's not, doesn't look like the Yellowstone show. At any rate, yeah, we uh, lease the Split Rock Ranch next to us, and we have about 1,600 acres. I'm probably not saying that right. But anyway, we have a lot of land out there, and he raises and cares for other people's cattle. So I think this, this year he said he's probably up to about 3,000 head, so... He's got a pretty big operation out there and really loves what he does. But it's it's great. It's a great to balance for what I do in Jackson Hole and be able to go out there and ride, you know, kind of support him and his endeavor and his love for ranching and ranching kind of the old fashioned way. So mm -hmm. yeah. I've heard some of the history of Jeffers. It's Jeffrey City. Yeah. Jeffrey City. Yeah. I, I know I've heard some of the history before, but I, I don't know it enough to repeat it, but it was pretty fascinating. It kind of is. Well. And, and it was a boom town. And, and then it, I mean, literally there's like 10 people that live there now. I mean, it was, it was a booming mining town many years ago. And I mean, now you just really drive right through it. And mm -hmm. of course the split rock is kind of a historic site. That's kind of one of the landmarks on the Oregon trail. And, you know, the ruts and everything up there. It's 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 neat that way because it it's definitely the route where people were, you know, coming from Casper and the Oregon Trail. So, you know, you can still see pieces and parts of the trail and items and neat. So I I know there was a bunch of years ago I did a road trip with my first dog that I had, Flash, and that was one of the spots that we stopped. 
was split rock and it is it's just fascinating mm-hmm. to think about you look at that terrain it's like my gosh what people did to make it out west and is just remarkable it, it is and then and that's why they went right through wyoming up to montana <laughs> because in montana uh, wyoming was the last state to homestead you know mm-hmm. and my grandfather actually homesteaded here over near Dulles center still city or center i believe over near douglas and it was in the 30s and they had a sod house and you know all the all the three things that you were supposed to do you've got i think 40 acres of land and you had to improve it put water on it put a home on it and he's like living he was like living history for wyoming and of course i mean it's, it's just really hard to make a go of it in wyoming it you know the depression hit they just could make mm-hmm. a go of it. it. Wyoming is just not an easy place to ranch or farm, or whatever. It's got a lot going mm-hmm. against it, weather-wise. I, I'm very curious to know where did your grandfather end up going? Was he married at that time when he was out here? And then okay. where did he end up going after he couldn't make a go of it? Um, so my grandmother was a teacher, and my grandfather a cowboy. He, they were both from. Scandinavia, Danish and Swedish heritage, where their families had had come over from Sweden and Denmark. And they ended up going back to Nebraska, where all their family was from, because they gave it a go. They gave it a good go, but it just it just kind of fell apart with the Depression. But yeah, they went back to Nebraska and, you know, had a small farm and everything. They ended up in Lovell, Wyoming afterwards, and they owned the best Western over there. So he had a myriad of things going on. But I am very proud of that heritage. My mom did. My mom grew up in Wyoming till about like 18. And then she went away to nursing school and then joined the Navy. So we were the city cousins that kind of lived a different life and it was always intriguing to us to come out here for the summer and see Wyoming and you know ride horses and do all that you know I didn't I wasn't raised out here but I had a love for Wyoming too in a different way than my husband well you have some deep roots here I do and and, and it's super neat when I look back on it mm-hmm. and we have a lot of I have a lot of cousins across the state and when you see the pictures of the sod house and all that mm-hmm. I mean it's super impressive that they even tried it so a lot of respect for those folks who lived in i mean we complain about living in a small space i mean in in today's society much less a sod house which was probably no bigger than 10 by 12 yeah Um, i don't remember the size of it but it wasn't big for sure no no and so your mom was in the navy yeah was she did she serve in 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 a war um she did not she was a navy nurse and then she met my dad. He was a Navy officer. And yeah, they had a Navy career. And I'm a Navy kid. Mm-hmm. So we that's why we did okay. we lived everywhere but kind of Wyoming. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah, there's not a Navy branch here. <laughs> that, yeah, let's put the Navy in Wyoming. <laughs> we do have the Air Force. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you, let's go back to you being in New York City and you were working for a marketing firm in New York. Okay. And you decide, I'm going to Wyoming. You had roots in Wyoming, but you're like, I'm going to Jackson. And what was the change for you? What did it feel like to go from the pace of New York City to the pace of Jackson Hole, Wyoming? You said about 30 years ago. So I've been here for 25 years now. 
So you're only five years ahead of me, but it was slow was back nice. then. <laughs> I, I, and so I'm really fascinated to know, how did you adjust to that? Well, I had a wanderlust for sure. And I had a real strong desire that I wanted to, to see if I could really become a singer. And so yeah. I guess that was driving it. And, and actually, I had all my stuff in storage. I had every intention of giving it a go out here and then going back to New York. But uh, one thing led to another, and I realized that I was ready to leave the city. And I knew I wouldn't, like, get married and live there. I was not, I knew that wasn't going to be the life that I wanted. So I was kind of ready. And I mean, it, it is like getting a PhD in life. And I loved every minute of being there and took advantage of a lot of stuff. But I just knew that it was it run its course. And I was in the whole folk world of like Suzanne Vega and Sean Colvin and just a lot of the really cool folkies and stuff like that. And it was very inspiring, you know, that I wanted to kind of break out and write music and sing. And of course, Wyoming was a perfect backdrop because I knew people out here and I, I don't even really know how it all happened exactly. But when I got out here, I realized that yeah, the pace was a little slow, but, and I was probably the only girl in town that had makeup on. The, the, the ratio of cowboys to, to girls was pretty cool. It was like eight to one. So that was interesting too. So it had a lot of appeal in its own small town way. And of course, Jackson Hole, who doesn't love it, right? So for sure, who, who doesn't love it? And you start, you, there's not many cowgirl bands that I've heard of, and I give you big kudos starting your own band and putting yourself out there, then no less going to Nashville to cut a record and, you know, make a, a true go of it. That's, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I gave a pretty good shot at it. But I knew when we had a, started having a family and we moved to Austin when I, I was, I'd had Tennessee and I was still plugging along, trying to, you know, I made, I cut it tape or cd there as well and um that it just lost it kind of once we started having a family i wanted to be a mom and it kind yeah. of lost i didn't want to be out at night and you have to do that um it just transitioned into me being a mom so it was, it was wonderful when it happened but mm -hmm. it tickles me that you said cut a tape i mean i everyone still calls it cutting an album but like i'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that i think i did have a cd off that one too yeah i did but it was definitely that era of tapes where you hand, mm -hmm. you know, you put one song on a tape and you go pitch it with this tape. And I mean, yeah, definitely <laughs> that was a long time ago. And so other than running a ranch, you now have adult children and living, you're in Jackson some of the time, you go to the ranch sometimes. What occupies your time now? So, yeah, I... I bought the franchise, the scout guide Jackson Hole from Megan Murtaugh. She she started it here. It's a national publication and you buy the franchise for the town. And then I bought it from her. I was kind of looking for something to do as kind of an empty nester using my marketing background. And it appealed to me because it you wear a lot of different hats. You know, you have events, you you sell ads, you do the photo shoots, you do the photo styling for the shoots. I write editorial pieces, I do social media. And so it had a lot of appeal just in the wide range of things and just serving the community, like with advertising and supporting 
you know, growing their businesses. And then I started the Scout Guide Bozeman here a year ago. So I'm I'm doing both cities now. I'm doing both uh, publications. So. And what's the similarities between Bozeman and Jackson? Yeah, I was seeing I was seeing a lot of businesses do business in both towns. I mm. mean, just there's a lot. Cowboy Coffee, Pinky Cheese, WRJ, Bellicosa, you know, Steo is in, you know, they're the, the list. And I just saw how joined our communities are. And a lot of people traveling will start in Jackson, go through the park, end up in Bozeman or vice versa. And I was just seeing a trend that it would be a really great sister market for me to own, that it had a lot of crossover businesses and a lot of crossover tourist traffic. And they're both mountain towns. Very similar, not in size, but similar in businesses and whatnot. And I felt like I kind of had a good handle on Jackson. So I was ready to start in Bozeman. It was exciting because it's a bigger community with a lot of more businesses. And I enjoy going out there, you know, once a month to do what I need to do. But yeah, it's definitely a trek between Jackson Hole and Bozeman or through the park, right, to Montana. So mm-hmm. yeah. It was a good fit. It is a trek. And there's several ways to make it over there, for sure. Some um, more hairier than others. That is true. We've made it up by um, Quake Lake. Where's that? Have you been over by Quake Lake? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, you, it's, um, you can either access Quake Lake if you're coming out of West Yellowstone to Bozeman. You'd make a left at a certain junction. Or if you go through Ennis... Before you go straight to West Yellowstone, you make a left and you follow the river. I forget what river it is. And then you would end up making a right. But back in the 750s, 60s, there was an earthquake and it created this lake. And several people, quite a few people died from between the earthquake and oh, that's why they the call it quake natural lake. lake. <laughs> mm-hmm. It formed this dam of the river, and then the dam broke as well. And yeah, it caused some damage. My wife's father, I think, was in Jackson at the time, and I think they said he said they could feel it. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I mean, I might have seen it. I've been in s- several snowstorms driving through there recently, so <laughs> covered up. But yeah, nonetheless, I I I enjoy I enjoy it up there, and I enjoy going back and forth and working out pretty well so and and tell me about the editorials that you are producing in the scout guide what what could people expect to see in there yeah well it's great i mean i think we're a lifestyle magazine publication with the base of like educating the community on this business so i do it through those four ways you know we present it through print and then we move it over, cross-pollinate it over to social, and then we write editorial pieces, you know, like a wedding blog or a blog on, you know, A43 Architects or Bellicosa, just a, a lifestyle feature on that business, but it's just a way to present their business one more time to an online audience. And those blogs are great for them because that's SEO and that's a different way for somebody to touch your business. And digital is super big now. I mean, a lot of people are moving away from print, um, which I really don't believe in. I still believe that it's a foundation for marketing. But digital is hot and people want that digital presence. So the blogs serve that form of it. And I 
I'm very loyal to who whoever gave me advertising money that year. I try to just stick with blogs on those people for that year and not really do a lot of, you know, outside of that. I mean, I do have like a dining guide and I do, I am writing a wedding blog and I do include some businesses that are not in the guide just, but for the most part, I'm driven for, you know, for people that have given me advertising money to try to move them up the marketing ladder and digital marketing's hot. So it's a great way to serve them. Digital marketing is hot. Yeah. We see that every day in, in, in the business businesses that I have for sure. And it's wonderful that you are committed to the people that are paying you for their advertising, paying you for advertising, yeah. um, that you support them in that, in that fashion. I, I've had people say to me like, well, you only post on, you post on the same people all the time. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's the idea. They gave me advertising money. And yeah, I do some, I do some lifestyle, some Jackson Hole. I try to try to be in, you know, interesting, but you know, the value in advertising with the scout guide is that I've got their back, you know, and I've, I've really working hard for them. And there's a lot of different publications in town that just want to put everybody and mention everybody and whatnot. But we just try to, we try to limit it. I, I can't write blogs on everybody in town. You know, and and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, I would like to I like to present people in a very lifestyle way and like you do, like you're you're picking things about me that no one would ever find out unless you had a conversation or you read an article about them in a different slant rather than, okay, this is my business, this is what I do, and I want you to buy my business for me, you know, or I want to buy a product. So people love they love the backstory, you know. I like to know the backstory. I enjoy it too. I appreciate it because we're all people. I think at times as a business person, you get identified as the business versus as who you are as an individual. You've probably seen it over and over, but it's the like, no one trust factor and people, people buy people. And sometimes that's hard for me personally, because then I feel like they're not buying me. But I'm serving a product, right? And I'm the the trust factor behind that product. And they people buy people, you know, and they buy mm -hmm. they want to learn about what your product is through you. And it's important it's an important part of it, you know, having people trust you and stick to what you say you're gonna do for them and, you know, be consistent. So true. Hey, Jill, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. And then I want to bring this back into what you're doing now to what marketing was like when you were in New York. Great. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce, aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County, ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Change begins with each of us, one day at a time. Jill, welcome back. We've learned a lot about how you have deep 
family roots here in the state of Wyoming and how you bought a franchise called the Scout Guide and you brought your marketing experience from a previous place in your life, a previous career and applying it to here in, in Jackson and, and also in Bozeman. And you were just saying people by people. Could you expand on that, give a little bit more detail of what that means? Well, I, I think it's just important to know that you're not just trying to push a product in, in front of somebody, that you're the, the trust factor behind that. And you've got to prove that to people, you know, that you're in it for the, the long haul. You've got integrity or, you know, there's, there's substance behind you as a person. And when they get to know you as a person, they're more likely to buy your product. I'm not saying they do, but uh, every time, but they're more likely to see that kind of consistency. And I, and I, and I model that in my own business so that I show the businesses that are in the scout guide, how to do that. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm the, not the mentor necessarily, but I'm the one kind of modeling it. And then, Hey, this is what you need to do in your business for people to buy you, you know? I see businesses show up and then they leave and, and I see them do all crazy stuff around here. And I'm just like, oh, you know, just stay the course, you know, hang in there. Be- no overnight success. There, it really isn't. There, there's really no easy way to it. And some days are discouraging. I'm not really the, a salesperson and sales is really a lot of what I do. And so I have to kind of turn it so that it's, so that I'm offering a service and a product and who I am and, and what I can do for them rather than just buy an ad in my magazine, you know? So for me, it's a little bit bigger than that. And I take it pretty seriously of like who I am. And, you know, I think being older helps too, is that I, I'm not, I kind of see it from a comprehensive perspective. You know, sometimes it's tough, you know, let me advertising sales, you know, it's, uh, there's trends in a lot of things. And right now people are like anti-print or and very pro-digital. And so you have to kind of present the strengths of both or all in one and, you know, selling. And I hate wearing the sales, <laughs> tell you the truth. But I think when you. Oh, I know that one. I mean, I really, it is, it is not my favorite hat to wear. But I think when you, when you're trying to serve them and serve them well you can you're selling your service rather than you know like hey can you buy an ad for me type thing so Mm -hmm. sure now i'm this is all very interesting and fascinating (laughs) but i i enjoy tying together history to current and and what's relevant now marketing is different now than it used to be but there's also some core tenets of it that will always be the same. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious to know from your your perspective, what's what are some say three items that are different nowadays? But then what are some of those core tenets, maybe two or three of them that will always be the same for marketing? And I you probably said one of them is you're selling to people. You got to tell a story, yeah, the background. You tell the story. So I I'm very curious to to know from your professional opinion you know, that perspective? Well, I think what I did in in New York was this was back in the day where you worked on an annual report like half the year. And and that catalog 
that went out to the um, investors was, I mean, that was golden. It was print and people looked at it <laughs> and they read it. We didn't have the internet. So they were like, this was compiling all the information, but it was still a visible way to connect with the investors or the buyers, I guess you would say. And to me, it was print and that visible product is still really key. It still connects to me from that era to this this era. But, you know, there's more ways to do it now, selling that message now with like social media and everything. But still, it still has a visible component to it. You know, you're still posting a photo. You're still posting that visible connection to people. And I think that that's one thing that I see, I mean, even in 30 years, is that photography and the visible touching somebody that way is is still key. I mean, telling the story through photography to me is still like golden. But yeah, so I guess some of the other tenets would be just, you know, storytelling and then also editorial and telling that story through a written piece. I'm, I read something recently about um, that people are going back to reading blogs. There was, I guess, the last three or four years where blogs weren't that but now everybody's seeing more of the value and taking the time to read those. Like it's a mini, a mini article that you would find in the newspaper or whatever, but now they're finding it online. People are hungry for substance, it looks like. So hmm. I thought it was very interesting. I wonder what changed that people are stopped reading them or pulled away, but now are pulling back into I it. I think that I, I'm just guessing here, but I think the availability of them and linking the ability to link on like story or Instagram and link it through Pinterest. And so it gives you this really quick opportunity to click over there beforehand. I think it you had to kind of search around to try to figure out where the blog was and where it lived. And, and I think accessibility has changed. I mean, I know just now, just like when I link something in a story to an article and just watch the hits on it, it got a lot more accessibility but used to live over in some WordPress or live somewhere where you had to like around to try to find that blog, you know? Hmm. And I know the Scout Guide, our platforms have changed a lot to accommodate that. So, you know, we can incorporate a blog in our weekly email blast where we couldn't do that before. So I just feel like it, it's more accessible to kind of pop over and read a, a quick blurb on somebody. Fascinating how it all changes over oh, time. Oh, I know. And it's changing yeah. every day. Yeah. And being up with yeah. it is it's fun and exciting and you know trying to stay on top of it is great and you know like with the whole advent of video and everybody's like oh gosh it's just video 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 you know and that that's hot and it is but it's not everything either you know mm -hmm. people are still hungry for i think content maybe not a long article but editorial pieces so Going back to the annual reports, interesting that that's what you would work on. My dad was a stockbroker and my grandfather always had invested after the depression. He oh, invested cool. and he paid his debts off. He invested in stocks. And so as a kid, I would as well. And I remember getting the annual report for Nike and Disney. Oh my gosh. How mm -hmm. fun. As a kid. Yeah. And they were cool to look at. They were very engaging, not to mention the financials that were in there, but just the way they were laid yeah. out in the, in the content 
the editorials that were in there explaining what the company was it doing. Did. It was fascinating. It was the main marketing piece for, well, we were a real estate division out of, from Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And that real estate division then had products or pen, well, they served pension funds. And then they would group real estate properties into a fund and people would invest in that fund. And so we did quarterly reports for those funds. You know, like we had a shopping center grouping and, you know, I mean, it would literally half of the year was just for the annual report. And by the time you did it, all the data was like old again. Then, So you're just working on this annual report all the time. But we also did like quarterly reports for our investors that showed how the their shopping centers were doing and how their money was being invested and stuff. So from a very basic perspective, you know, it gave me a very good background in marketing and realizing what people are. I mean, they really love photography and they want to see vis visibly. And that still has not changed at all. You're very attuned to your world, the world of editorials, marketing, publications. What are your top three pictures that give you a feeling? And what is that feeling? And it doesn't have to be, it can be with a scout guide. It can be with anything. So my top three photos that pictures. That we, yeah. Fit photos. Yeah. My, I guess my very top one is, so I'm also a stylist. I have a styling company called Styling the New West. And so we did a shoot up at Flat Creek Ranch. We we used to have an outfitting business before my husband did ranching. And it's and we were we owned the Flat Creek, I guess, permit up there. And we would start at the Flat Creek Ranch. I don't know if you know much about the Flat Creek Ranch up there, but probably oh, yeah. to me, which is hard to say, the prettiest place in Jackson Hole. But uh we did a shoot up there and you know, the geese were flying off and fly fishing and I literally it is breathtaking and not many people find their way up there you know because it's very hard to get to and it's this really pristine it's not really a dude ranch i guess it's a guest ranch but I, you do dude i mean you do ride horses and whatnot but fly fishing but it absolutely one of my favorite photos ever and just because it evokes that feeling of that real silence of being out on the water and you with your fly rod and, you know, just telling that story of what that feels like, you know, in this really beautiful, serene place, you know, and capturing that. So that's probably one of my favorite photos. Lindley Russ took it and it just evokes that feeling. We've taken a lot of really great photos over the years. We did one with New Thought Digital and it had the sleeping Indian in the background and it was beautiful. It was just, a, <laughs> the guys wanted to be on, pull this velvet sofa, it was a velvet or leather sofa on the museum and just had this very silhouette of the sleeping Indian in the back and it's nice. I mean, I a lot of the other editors say, you just have such a great backdrop. Your photos are so great in the guide because, I mean, you're so lucky. I, I'm not in Cincinnati, you know. Cincinnati's got a lot of great things in it, but you can always rely on the back, <laughs> you know, the environment. So I don't know. Some other shots that we've taken are probably more just wedding photos that, you know, evoke that happiness of destination wedding here and getting married and which is such a big part of our community. So 
probably be it. It's a special place to be married. My wife and I were married out here. We did it on the Forest Service. Oh, you did? Out on, uh, yeah, up in Black Canyon. Her grandfather built a cabin there on Forest Service in holding back in the 50s. And her dad still has it. It was like one of those 99-year leases. I mean, it's no electricity, no running water. And so we did our ketubah signing at the cabin and then married in just around the area over there. I mean, somebody could have come darting on a mountain bike <laughs> through the wedding but, but they and that would have been all right too right because somebody that's kind of been all right that's kind of what everybody's expecting out here is some some kind of wild card because mm-hmm. it is it's great that's a great story it's one very special to us for sure well joe i so appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk about your background and what you're doing with the scout guide and helping people share their stories here in in jackson Thank well, you. thanks for having me Thank on, for, and for I time. think maybe I need to be interviewing you next time, so I can dig in and find out a little <laughs> bit more about that wedding story. So, my friend Jim Ogier, and when I interviewed him, he started asking me <laughs> questions, so it was more flipping the mic. <laughs> yeah, well, probably it's your turn next time, right? Yes, it will be. <laughs> well, thank you, Jill. You have a great day, and I wish you all all the best with a successful cattle season this summer. Thank you. We could use it. The, we had a lot of calves die this, this spring, the winter. So we'll cross our fingers. Mm-hmm. But thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Take care, Joe. To learn more about Joe King and her connections to Wyoming and her business, The Scout Guide of Jackson Hole, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 239. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Get out and share this podcast with your friends and families, Instagram and Facebook. Do you know of somebody who would like to be a guest? Send us their name. We'd love to have them. Take care, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.